Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast, a podcast where we bring on multifamily investors and discuss real estate and their journeys to financial freedom. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Kerwin Donis. Hey guys, welcome back. Today on the show, we have Angel Williams. Angel is a co-founder of Lauren Capital and a co-host of the Academy Presents Real Estate Investing Rocks. Angel has her Master's of Science in Economics from Baylor University. Angel is also a passive investor and she aims to move to the active side in the near future. She was a delight to speak with and a wealth of knowledge. We had a great discussion with her, so let's get into it. Thank you for tuning in to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. This is your co-host Jeffrey Donis alongside my partners and brothers Kerwin and Kenneth Donis. Today on the show, we will be having Angel Williams. Angel, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Not at all. So I am Angel Williams. I am the face of the Academy Presents Real Estate Investing Rocks. It is the environment. So I like to um, just gather information and share it with people that want it. So I just like helping and that's how I'm doing it. Awesome. Angel, do you mind kind of going into your background, uh, maybe over your life before real estate and how you ended up doing what you're doing today? Sure. Um, so life before real estate. Um, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I really remember it. Um, I was raised by my grandparents and my grandparents invested in real estate. Um, so, I mean, they got in in the late 70s, early 80s. So I was like, I don't know, five or six. Uh, <laughs> and they actually had a few single family homes before that. So literally, I, I don't remember a time in my life where there wasn't some piece of real estate investing. Um, when we got into it personally, it was when we bought our first home in 03. We bought it knowing that it was going to be our first rental. And it became our first rental in 2007. And even though there had been, my husband comes from a family that invested in real estate too. And so it was just a supernatural progression for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And do you mind kind of going into what you are involved in today? Sure. Um, so we have our single family homes. We have the residential multifamily going. Um, we're trying to diversify a little bit. So we added in some oil and gas, kind of looking at vineyards, kind of. Um, that's new. I learned about that a couple of weeks ago and I was like, what? I love wine. Hmm. <laughs> I might be a massive driver behind the demand. Um, not really. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but it was just super cool to hear about that. And so, um, that might be next on the schedule, but we also got into passive investing in multifamily about maybe two and a half years ago. And we decided that we were going to make that jump into multifamily about four years ago. So it's a, it's been a wild ride and so much to learn. Uh, I know a lot of people go single family and then multi. And I feel like a lot of the experiences that we have gained being in the single family and residential multifamily landscape have helped, but it is truly a completely different animal. Awesome. So are you, are you kind of saying that would you recommend someone start in single family or would they be okay just jumping right into multifamily? In you know, I, know people investing? Did, I know people that have done it both ways. Yeah. Um, I think it just depends on your comfort level. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, a lot of people tell you, you know, well, being uncomfortable is fine. You need to be uncomfortable to grow and that's fine. But 
my personal take on it too is that you need to feel comfortable enough with losing what you're putting in. And for someone to move into multifamily, you've got to be comfortable with losing 50, 75, 100 on your first go round. I couldn't do that. Um, so for us, it was more like, I mean, and there've been times that we've lost our earnest money or we've lost, we've lost money that you put down when you start looking at a house, but that's like 500 for an apartment complex. It's substantially more. <laughs> so it's a, it's a much, it's a much bigger commitment. And I think that not necessarily the whole on it, but the cash flow is different and the, the equity, like the equity piece that you get back at the, at the turn is different as well. So it depends on what you're looking for in your cash flow and in, in what you're hoping to build from. And then again, it just comes back to what's your comfort level. You know, we, we did get to a point where when we get into an investment, if we lost it all, would we be okay? Because if you can't say yes, you shouldn't be getting into that investment. Yeah. So not not that you're going to lose it all, but just yeah. if. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to kind of follow up with that, what are the biggest benefits, if there are any? I'm, I know there are, but just in your opinion, what are the biggest benefits of commercial uh, multifamily real estate over single family real estate? Oh, hands down, vacancy risk mitigation. Hands down. <laughs> We've had to pay three mortgages before, and it sucks. Because when a single family home is empty, it is 100% empty. So, yeah, and, and we agree. That's, of course, one of the reasons why a lot of people like, you know, multifamily because they can have 10 vacant units on a 100 uh, unit property and be completely okay, not even turn an eye. You're more on the passive side. You've been passively investing for two and a half years. Um, as a passive investor, uh, what do you kind of look like or look for in a sponsor uh, before like investing with them? So <laughs> knowing that my fellow passive investors are going to laugh at me um, when we first started doing it, I literally looked at the equity multiple. Like that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I mean, like, yes, my degree is in economics. I have, I've got my bachelor's and I've got a master's in, in economics. And so can I crunch numbers? I can. It doesn't mean I like it. Um, my husband loves numbers. We make a great team. <laughs> so when, when we're meeting people, it's really, to, for me, it's a gut feel thing. Um, and we've been right. Most of the time or not a deal does well or not doesn't necessarily depend upon that gut feel you get off the team. But I know that when it feels right, that I believe that that team is going to work as hard as they can to do the best they can whether it goes good, bad, or sideways, if I have a good feeling and know that they're going to do the best they can in every situation, then I can be okay with that. Um, so it's, yeah, I, <laughs> I have friends that are like, have given me lists upon lists upon lists of questions. Um, like, you know, how many of your investors, you can ask an operating team, how many of your investors invest with you again? You know, how long has your average investor been with you? You know, is, can I talk to the number one investor or the biggest investor from your last deal? Embarrassingly enough, I, I tend to not do that because especially like in the beginning, because 
I really trusted my inner compass and, you know, I really trusted that gut feel and it's been pretty good. It's been pretty accurate. So I, I still let, I still let that intuition drive. Um, and then my husband crunches the numbers. So we get both sides of it. That's awesome. I've been on another call with you uh, where you mentioned the amount or someone else mentioned, do you mind kind of touching on how many deals you've passively invested in just kind of give our audience an idea as to, what you what type of expertise you're talking on? If that makes sense. Sure. So we have been in four deals, and one of them is up for sale. And most, most people be like, oh, four deals, that's nothing. Um, but one of them is super big, and another one is pretty medium. But between those four deals, it was over two thousand doors. So um, we've gotten to see how your operations work, and so that's been that's been pretty neat. And it's, it's just been a really cool experience into how communication styles play in. And with everything that's gone on in the past 18 months, it's good communicators have been found and poor communicators have also been found. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, are you, so you're kind of saying you kind of go off the gut feeling, which that's exactly what we try to do whenever we're working with someone. But when it comes to actually placing your own capital, are you looking at the market or anything or is it really just off of the relationship and then the next offering they have um, you're just, you know, if you trust the person and it feels right. I know you say your husband crunches the numbers, um, but is he doing any market analysis? I'm sure he's more of an analytical. It sounds like. Oh yeah. So <laughs> a little bit of background. Um, my husband actually has his own underwriting business, but yeah, um, <laughs> he, he had his doctorate in chemical engineering when he was 26. Um, wow. he like, he loves Excel sheets. They make me vomitous. He loves them and um, they are his thing. And so, yeah, he, he's going to crunch the numbers and I'm, I'm really that relationship driven person. And so the deals that we've gotten into have been, they started out based on the relationship with the operating team and then it went from there. Um, so it's, yeah, they're, for me, it's, it's very much a, you know, what, what am I picking up off these people? What am I reading? You know, is there something shady going on? And, and I'm not going to say I'm right all the time because I'm not. Um, but it's more than half. <laughs> it's enough that my husband is willing to put some reliance on it as well. So, Yeah. And, and I know that you mentioned that you're looking to get on the active side sometime soon. Um, you're looking for deals. I'm sure you've learned a lot as a passive investor. Do you mind kind of just touching on how maybe if, if I'm not sure if I can speak for you, but I'm sure some sponsors are, are open to sharing information in regards to the process. If you have any questions, they answer it. Have you found that to be a valuable uh, way to learn about the business and, uh, and make some money while you're doing it? Um, so I know that I have friends that are passive that have been much more involved in the process than I have been. Like a lot of what I've learned is like, which portal do I like the best? <laughs> Which one is the prettiest? Which one gives me the most information? But more importantly, I can look at that portal and say, okay, which one is setting up like the next round? Like which one is letting me know what's coming up? Um, which, you know, which operating team sends out something readable as opposed to maybe an Excel sheet? Um, Excel sheets are fine for my husband. Um, when I get those Excel sheets that have like 5 million account numbers, I can't do it. Now I can read an income statement <laughs> so I can look through the tabs and find the income statement and we're golden. But all of those account numbers, no way. 
Um, so things like that have showed me, and I'm, I, I don't know that I'm representative of all um, investors, but what it's shown me is that you want to have something that is easy to read, that isn't going to cause your investor to just close the email or delete them without ever opening them, and then saying later that you didn't communicate. Um, so you, you want to give something that is easily readable, and then give like a synopsis of it, like explain it and give a summary for those people that don't want to open an Excel sheet. <laughs> you know, they don't want to look at a, a screen full of numbers that are arbitrary and meaningless to them. Um, so I, th I think that there's just, it's taught us that there's different levels of communication and some ways that you can make those charts, graphs, and all those number things more easily digestible for all of your investors, not just your scientifically minded ones. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree with that. So, and I know that like now you are, of course, looking to get and source your own deals, I'm guessing. Are you, like, I know that your criteria for passively investing seems like is very big. Um, are you staying on that like larger kind of size units or what are you kind of looking to get into at the moment as an active investor? Uh, I Probably the smallest we've looked at was a 40. And then the the largest that we've looked at so far was 200. Um, but the ones that have been most seriously considered, at least in my mind, um, I was seriously considering the 40 because <laughs> it could be really super cute. It yeah. is not now. There is massive deferred maintenance, but it could be super cute. Um, so I like that one. And then the other two is like a, like a 75 and a 150 and those are probably the next two and it's it's not so much the size of the complex but more this sounds so ridiculous it's more the feel i get when i'm there um <laughs> yeah that that one that's 75 it's like it doesn't feel like 75 it feels really big and airy and it just feels really nice and it has a really neat community feel to it and then the one that's larger is just, it's super well-maintained and there's a cohesion that just, it's just a feel. I don't know. I, yeah. It makes me feel stupid when I say that, but it's, <laughs> I like the feel. I like the feel that's there. Yeah, that's no, the I mean, part, and right? once you walk uh, enough properties, you definitely get that feel, you know, you start, you go in, it's like you already know, like, okay, this, you know, I kind of feel good here or eh, I don't know. I don't know if I like this. And that's just with real estate in general, right? With the area, location, do I feel safe? But um, so as far as uh, those, I guess, larger or even the smaller ones, are you looking to raise that or how are you kind of shifting? Because I know that you are typically an LP. Um, are you looking to syndicate those? Um, It kind of depends. So kind of background on this yet. So as an economist, we have like very little liquidity <laughs> because I don't like what's going on with the US dollar and I don't like the potential for where it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like we just don't have a whole lot put away. We could get our hands on it, but I just don't like having it. <laughs> not right now. Um, that has a lot of weight as to whether or not we would be able to JV it or whether we need to syndicate it. Our ultimate goal is to buy and hold um, because that's, that's what we've done with single family homes. And so that's what we know. And that's where our comfort level is. That's and awesome. So, uh, you mentioned something that I would 
hope you could dive in a little more into. So as a passive investor, uh, from the, the perspective of a passive investor, can you explain why it's important to get um, your liquidity and your cash that might be sitting in the bank into a hard asset? I mean, if you could kind of maybe tailor it towards what's happening with the dollar uh, right now. Okay, so <laughs> very simply, what's happening with the dollar? If, so the entire money supply in you know all of the US, all of the world, because everybody's holding US dollars, is there are 100 pieces of currency and the total value is $100. If all of a sudden there are 100 currency in the money supply, but it's only still worth $100 total, now each piece of currency is worth less than a dollar. If overnight or if another night goes through, we add another 75 pieces, now we have 200 pieces of currency, but the total value of the currency is still only $100. So yes, there's more dollars running around, but those dollars aren't really worth a dollar. They're worth like 50 cents. And so the dollar is definitely going to lose value. It has to lose value. And the reason why I said 125 to begin with is because the last I really heard a number on it, the money supply had been increased 25%. So you go from 100 to 125. So instead of four equal parts, now you have five. So if you were to take in the five, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's a 20% reduction just in math. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's great. But I do understand that, you know, four pieces is smaller than five pieces. <laughs> the pieces are going to be smaller. Therefore, it has to be decreasing in value. Um, so, I mean, I get that part. <laughs> but um, it's with the U.S. dollar being a fiat currency, every dollar is worth a dollar because we think it's worth a dollar. And so until people realize that their dollar isn't worth a dollar anymore, it's going to kind of maintain value. But I don't know how long that's going to last because we're so much more interconnected than we were 30, 40, 50 years ago when there was a big time lag. I think the lag has just gotten a lot smaller because we're so much more connected now. But that's the economics piece of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that makes a lot of sense. We actually uh, went to a real estate event um, called with the real uh, the real estate guys in Belize, and oh, wow. they're big on yeah they're big on uh, Robert Kiyosaki was there Tom Wheelwright um, Ken McElroy all of them and we there's an economist named George Gammon I'm not sure if you're familiar with George but they all talked about the fiat currency and how the the, the value of the dollar is going down but to kind of go into Kerwin's question when you invest in a hard asset like real estate how does that protect against inflation do you mind kind of touching on that so with inflation it takes more dollars to buy things. And if you own an asset, it's going to go up in value because it takes more dollars to buy it. So you, you win out simply because now it takes more dollars. The real value may not change, but the nominal dollar value absolutely does. Yeah. And, and as inflation goes up, so does do house prices, right? Or, or property prices typically. So it's kind of protected. Uh, the dollar is protected when you invest it. Uh, because it's actually just going up as inflation goes up. So that's awesome. But um, I'm not sure if I really have any more questions, but I, I'd love to kind of get into our express round if you don't mind. Okay. It, it'll be, it's nothing. Nope. No pressure. It's really easy. <laughs> I'll start you off with the first one. No, no one has trouble with the first one. Um, out of your experience in real estate, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and what did it teach you? <laughs> Everybody has an easy time with this one. Holy night. <laughs> I, was, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> Oh, huh. okay. Well, I've got thoughts going through my head then. 
I don't know that we've really had a bad one. I mean, you learn something from everything. And so even the things that didn't go the way we thought they were going to go, we still learn something from that. So like even when we were paying three mortgages for six months or nine months or whatever it was, and we thought we weren't going to survive in those kind of situations. And so I don't know that I can actually call that bad because we learned from it. So I guess, does yeah, that yeah. work? <laughs> Rod, Rod Cleef likes to call them seminars, right? You kind of just pay to learn something. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So uh, do you have any books that you'd recommend our audience read? Yes. Okay. So Joe Fairless's best ever, uh, was it best ever apartment syndication book is like the go-to there. I mean, it, it's like word for word what you should do. Um, that is probably our favorite syndication book. And then like probably my favorite like self-help book is Positive Intelligence. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that one. But what Positive Intelligence does for you is it helps you identify your saboteurs. Like what are the thing is like the overachiever. And so one of the things that is constantly undermining how I, the confidence I have in myself is, oh, what have you done lately? What are you doing that shows what you're accomplishing? Oh, you're doing nothing? Mm. And so it's like I, I constantly have this thing in the back of my head that was like, mm, are you really accomplishing anything today, Angel? I don't think you are. And so it's like constantly eating at me. And I, like, I've always known that I have that nasty little voice in the back of my head that I should be doing more. I can do more. I'm not enough. I'm, you know, a sab I'm, I'm not doing what I should be doing. You know, that whole imposter syndrome thing. I mean, I've got all of that stuff on me all the time. And it wasn't until I read positive intelligence that I was able to recognize it for what it was. And I still hear it, but I can be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're just a saboteur trying to make me think less of myself. And so once you can identify, but you can just let it go because it's not truth. It's, it's just that thing back there that's on your back that's trying to sabotage your forward momentum. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely have to, I have to check that one out. Uh, do you have a best piece of advice that you've ever been given or that you would give someone? I think really it's more of what my husband and I saw in my, my grandparents and then in his parents growing up. And that was that not everything is going to be amazing. You're going to have runners that tear your place up and it's going to cost a lot to fix it. Hopefully you have the kind of relationships in place that you can spread those payments out or that you've got something pushed to the side. So it's not a financial outlay that's coming out of your pocket. You know, hopefully you've got some escrowed or something um, because those things just happen. And honestly, it happened to us, our very first renter. And a lot of people turned and ran if that was their first experience. And we didn't because we had already seen those kinds of things happen in our families. And so I think really the best advice anyone could have ever given or shown us was that there are ups and downs and that's just part of it. And you just keep going. And at the end of the day or at the end of the time horizon that you're looking at, hopefully there's more ups than downs. And you just kind of have to ride that train and <laughs> hope you're doing it the way it needs to be done to get you with more ups than downs. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, my, my next question, do you have like a daily habit that you would accredit some of your success to? 
Yeah. So I'm not very good at that. My husband is amazing at it. Of course, he's an Eagle Scout. So of course he can like handle discipline and doing things that you're told to do. I'm not a big rule follower. And I really hate it when people tell me no. Uh, like I don't, I don't take it. Um, <laughs> I will get the yes um, or I'll figure out something else. But like he made up, I'll show you. He made up these things for us where they're called power five lists. Um, I don't know if you, mine is written all over the place. Each little box is supposed to have five things to do. Mine have like 20 <laughs> and they're little bitty written because I, I have a big problem with prioritizing. And so I just write down everything. And then if I do something that's not on the list, I write it in because I'm like, dang it, I accomplished something else too. Because in the back of my head, I've got that person telling me, Angel, did you really do anything today? And so it's like, I have to see 10, 15, 20 things on this power five list to prove to myself that I've done something today. And it sucks sometimes, but it's, um, I think it just comes back to that fact that I don't really have a daily routine or a set of habits that I follow because it kind of runs, I guess, anti to who and what I am as a person because I don't like no. And I feel like if I had a routine, that'd be like saying no to chasing shiny objects or allowing my mind to freely go wherever it wants to go or to talk to somebody that happens to call or, ooh, there's a Zoom meeting. I can go to a meetup. <laughs> so now I try and schedule those things in, but I don't know. It's, I kind of like the ability to be all over the place because it makes me feel more like me, but it also makes things a little crazy and it means that I don't always accomplish everything. I'm, but do I know? Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Kind of just free spirit. I love it. Um, last question. Do you have, uh, if someone in our audience wants to get in touch with you and learn more about you and what you do, uh, is there a best way for them to reach out? Uh, for sure. So we've got our main website, which is www.theacademypresents.com. And we have a membership area there. There's contact info to get in touch with me or my husband. Um, the REI Rocks is our educational platform. Second set of eyes is Jason's underwriting and underwriting review business. So if you wanted him to check your underwriting, you could get to that from there or through the contact. He's Jason at Lauren Capital. Um, then there's also behind the curtain where if you want to put on a virtual event, you get your speakers. I'll take care of everything else. Um, so that's the behind the curtain. It's the concierge um, virtual events planning service. Or if you want to go to our investors page, that is www.laurencapital. There you're going to learn about some of our investing ideas and strategies. And you'll also see a little bit about um, the rare genetic condition that our son has and why we have chosen that as our main charity for when we really get going. Um, so all of that info is there. And then just if you want to get a hold of me, I'm Angel at Lauren Capital. So Angel at L-O-R-R-E-N-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And I just like to help people. So if you need help, um, I always got that little voice saying, hey, what have you done today? And I'd love for helping you to be the thing I did today. So uh, I'm available. Awesome, Not like that, that, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. Awesome. We really Thank do you. appreciate your time. It's been awesome. And I definitely look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time. Oh, you guys are awesome. And I love what you're doing. It's um, what, what you're, what you're trying to do and what you're hoping to do is 100% support that. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that. 
Thanks for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you got value from this episode, we'd appreciate a good rating on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune into our next episode. Until next time, take care guys.